I bumped into a friend of mine in Soho who had recently had a heart attack. And, you know, I actually liked the guy and I asked him how he was feeling and doing. And, you know, and he was, he was so joyful that I actually cared. And he asked me what I was doing and I showed him some of my art and he immediately said, I love this, follow me. And he walked me around to a gallery in Soho on West Broadway, showed my stuff to the owner. The guy said, I love it. Can you put a piece of art in here? Came by Friday, brought it to him, and he sold it Saturday. And he says, what else do you have? And uh, and then it was two galleries, four galleries, ten galleries. And, you know, each thing is a little thing to the next stepping stone. You're listening to Lights, Camera, Crypto, the podcast exploring all things entertainment and Web3. I'm your host, Stephen Ladden. And this week, our guest is acclaimed artist, Paul Gerben. Paul has worked across paint, sculpture, photography, and digital art for over 30 years and has worked with some of the biggest names in politics, entertainment, and sports, including Bono, Robert De Niro, and David Bowie. In our conversation, he details how he got his start in the art world, his upcoming projects with hockey legend Bobby Orr and Apple co-founder Steve Wozniak, and how ultimately being a genuinely giving person has helped fuel his success. Let's dive in. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much. Well, really excited to kind of dive in and learn more about uh, the Paul Gerben origins uh, and and leading up today and your your current career and uh, you know how you're you've you've currently merged art and, and Web three and and all that stuff. But maybe before we even get there, starting at the beginning, you know, I know. You grew up in an artistic household in New York. Did did you always know that art was going to be the path for you? Um, I don't know that I could say that, but I kind of did. I, I think I kind of did it. My mother really pushed art on me as a young kid. So, in in what ways? Uh, well, instead of me eating crayons, she got me to draw with them. <laughs> Although I did eat a few. <laughs> So, so she, it, it was more of a, you know, to, to help keep the stock of art supplies. Uh, she, she nurtured the creation of art rather than the consumption of it. Yeah, she was very creative. And, you know, I think she had kids early and she was going to be a teacher. And she just very encouraged uh, art into me. And um, she was pretty artistic herself. Um, but I think her just constant encouragement and support of of being artistic and creative is what, what got me to where I am. Hmm. And was there a moment along the way where, you know, if, if her constant encouragement and sort of call it chirping in your ear that, hey, like kind of pushing art on you, uh, was there a moment where you realized, wait a minute, like, this is this is something that I want to dedicate myself toward and it's not just me not eating the crayons it's this is this is a serious thing for me yeah i mean i wasn't eating crayons right before college <laughs> um but yeah she pushed me to go to art school for college so i think uh and and also academically i wasn't smart enough to go to medical or law school so i think it kind of all went hand in hand gotcha and was there something about just art itself as you mentioned went hand in hand with with not pursuing those other avenues was there something about art that sort of captivated you or, you know, you, you must have an, an inclination that, hey, you know, you're pretty good at it. What, what kind of 
reinforced you to, aside from your mom, to, to go on that path? Uh, I think just growing up, I grew up around, I luckily had a couple of pretty artistic friends as a child, like pretty talented illustrator, painter, kids, comic books, and, you know, science fiction stuff. I think it all kind of encompassed together. You know, I was really into collecting comics and comic book art and science fiction art and, you know, cartoons and doodling and I don't know, a combination of that and taking fine art classes you know, at a younger age, sure. still lives and, you know, figure drawing, all that kind of stuff. And, and so in some ways there was a, you kind of had a little bit of an artistic community, would you say? Yeah. I don't know if I would call it a community. I just think I just, the, you know, I think when you're younger and you're growing up, you have certain social groups of kids. Some kids are really into sports. Some are into science and math. Some are into music and some are into art. And I think I just fell into the little art, group you know mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. awesome so yeah. you go you go to college graduate college in no, between i only went for one year and then i one, dropped oh wow out. i didn't realize yeah uh, and, and what sort of motivated the departure um i think a culmination of multiple things i think you know in high school i had taken college courses um like foundation courses that teach you drawing and anatomy and perspective and certain things like that. And I think, you know, I really didn't have the finances for college. My mother couldn't afford it. Um, my parents are divorced. And um, I also was working full-time job because even though I was in college, I didn't have really any spending money. So I think just being in school and working that much, I think it was a little overwhelming at 18 years old to do both. Sure. And I don't know, I never felt like I needed college uh, that much i always felt like college was more of a business and you know you're paying you know, 15 20 grand a semester or taking college loans and you're they're giving you books signing you books to read and memorize i always felt like school in general was more um memorization than um comprehension and i, I like mm -hmm. to comprehend when i learn stuff so i'd rather take you know i you know even though i dropped out freshman year sophomore junior senior year i still would pay for my own classes at a different school i would take a photo class at one school or a cell screening class at another school and you know i just picked and learned different things and i had i used to bus tables in college and a friend of mine who was also a bus boy he had gone to vocational school um for art and design he kind of gave me the same kind of you know hands-on real world education hmm. um and I, I like learning real world stuff more than school stuff. I always think that most of the kids that came out of my college, all their work looked the same and they didn't really de develop or create their own style or taste. I think that's because they were all doing the same assignments and you know, they weren't really finding their own voice. I think the same applies to musicians as well. So in many ways, leaving college, going out, having that real world experience helped you to create your own style and, and your own taste and, and kind of not complete the same assignments as, a, as everybody else. Yeah, there was no assignments. It was just, you know, I, I immediately started doing graph design, photography, and I really, I, I stopped kind of doing art by the time I was like 18, 19, I started to learn more professional art skills to make a living at. Um, I didn't go back into art into my really into my like 40s was there a, a moment then before you went back into art 
as you're learning the professional skills where you realized, you know, wait a minute, this is actually something that can sustain me? No, it actually just completely happened by accident. I think it just, uh, I always, because I didn't go to school and I always had to kind of fight to get my own opportunities or, you know, work at a company or intern for companies just to get experience. When I had a branding business, I was doing graphic design and branding for 25 years, um, all pretty much self-taught. And um, when I had my studio in Manhattan, I would let other art students intern for me. And one specific student was doing this very interesting, like kind of graph design, digital mixed media art. And I'd never seen anyone do that with computer. And he showed me how he did it. And, you know, I started doing it for fun just because I enjoyed it. And I, I also never felt like the art I saw at art fairs or galleries was really very unique or different or impressed me. Um, so I was just doing it for fun for about eight years and didn't sell more than one piece in eight years, but I wasn't doing it for a living. I just did it for fun because I enjoyed doing it. So it's almost a testament to do what you love and it could turn into a career. You know? Sure, sure. And, and that actually seems to be a, a very clear th through line through a lot of these interviews with artists, you know, whether regardless of the medium, com comedian, musician, actor, filmmaker, mm -hmm. artist, you know, a lot have stories much like yours where pursuing the vocation was was just an expression or it was something that they enjoyed after work or it was something that they enjoyed full time whatever the case may be it was that creating for the joy of it and then it just so happened that through that joy through that repetition a career yeah was the joy the repetition and you wind up putting in your 10 20 30,000 hours just cuz you enjoy it and then all of a sudden it's a career and you know, having the graphic design background for 25 years of photography, it added to the success of it. You know, I've always told a lot of artists that you could be a great artist, but if you don't have a great website and great business card, and all those elements add value to your work and, you know, create a perception of success quicker. And that also helps kind of you know, evolve your career. And just to understand uh, or just to clarify, so you're saying after 25 years in with your graphic design business, that's when as an artist, things started to take off in that direction. Yeah, no, about after eight years of doing art and printing and framing large pieces and putting them in galleries here and there for fun, um, and about the eighth year, it started to really happen, like sales started happening. And I realized this is a more better business than actually graphic design and photography combined. So I stopped doing both and put all my time into art. And now I'm full-time art for about 12, 15 years now. Amazing. And was there a moment then as you were making that transition that you could point to, or maybe it was a set of smaller experiences where, where that shift eight years in started to happen? Um, I, I always say that one story was I bumped into a friend of mine in Soho who had recently had a heart attack and he was in the nightlife world, the club world. And, um, you know, I actually really liked the guy and I asked him how he was feeling and doing and, you know, and he was, he was so joyful that I actually cared because most people in nightlife don't really care about people that much. They're more into nightlife. And, and he asked me what I was doing and I showed him some of my art and he immediately said, I love this, follow me. And he walked me around to a gallery in Soho and West Broadway, showed my stuff to the owner. The guy said, I love it. Can you put a piece of art in here? It was like a Wednesday. He says, come by Friday and bring me this piece. So I came by Friday, brought it to him, and he sold it Saturday. And he says, what else do you have? And uh, 
that just kind of started to, you know, kind of evolve more and more. And then it was two galleries, four galleries, 10 galleries. And, you know, you just kind of build relationships and, you know, then some celebrities started to order commission pieces from me. And, you know, each thing is a little thing to the next stepping stone. Sure. It sounds like there, there, there was serendipity, but also that the cliche of preparation meets opportunity. If he, yeah, you know, exactly. He, and also being kind and being genuine and just being a real person and not being fake, I guess is a word, but just being kind to everyone that you meet that you like and showing real genuine interest in people. And I don't know, I think it all kind of evolves in itself, you know? Totally. And it, and it probably feels, it feels more organic and authentic that path than if you were being fake or called slimy or opportunistic, you know, it, it, I think people can kind of most can, can, can sense that out. And it, it seems from the way you're describing things, at least that interaction on the street, it's like, yeah, I like slimy that you threw the word. Slime. I've never heard, <laughs> I've never heard slime. I played with slime as a kid, but I've never heard slimy in a conversation, but, but yeah, I just think it's like everything I've done is organic. There's no plan. There's no, you know, um, sort of, like you said, there's no opportunistic thing. It's just, Everything from my life is organic, and I just you know go that way, and it just seems to work really well, you know, for me, for sure. And and do you think the the build kind of happened? You mentioned, you know, some some notable celebrities have commissioned your work. Is that sort of once one does, and others are exposed to it, you know, then all of a sudden you're getting orders from a different clientele. Is that sort of how that all? Yeah, I mean, it kind of seems to, you know, I don't know how it just organically keeps happening to me, but it's just happened a lot. And, you know, or a celebrity comes in the gallery, buys a piece, and they contact you and they want something custom or, um, you know, and often it's a gift from an agent, a manager, a wife, a husband um, to that person, you know, something special. Because I think it's one of those things that like you, you know, what do you get the person that has everything, you know? Right. A custom piece of art seems to be a really nice special thing you know mm. and in in terms of special thing you know just to circle back to it you mentioned having the real life experience and and kind of parting ways with with the traditional college path for a minute to kind of cultivate and create your own style and, and taste how did that influence eight years after the graphic design business how did that all come back into play to sort of what you began to call it the relaunch or the the official launch or uh, you know i don't i don't want to disparage any previous uh works but you, you know you're saying eight years after the graphic design business um no 25 years after graphic design business right right, right, right. Eight, for eight years for fun yeah I think, exactly yeah i think it um uh, i guess the word is that like all the three careers kind of meshed together, you know, um, shooting photography 25 years, um, doing graphic design 25 years and, and the art. And a lot of the art I was doing was digital. Like in the beginning, you know, it, it was a mix. I'd take a photograph, then I'd bring it into a, a program and add layers into it. Then I would print it out, paint on it, re-photograph it again, pop it back on the computer and just kind of go back and forth and use the modern tools, you know, like, you know, like what Warhol used in his era, whether it was still screening, you know, at some point someone said that's, that's not real art or, you know, every, everyone has their opinion, but, you know, I was doing digital art for probably 25, 30 years. And now you've seen the surgence of, you know, NFT art and digital art really becoming 
um, solidified in the art community, you know, all the way up to Christie's and Sotheby's auctions, you know, right. Um, which is fantastic. Um, like when the whole NFT market thing started to boom, I was getting calls from every person on earth going, are you going to do this? What are you doing? You're like the, you know, you're, you've been a digital art forever, you know, how could we get involved with you? And you know, just kind of everything kind of snowballed in an interesting way. Sure. And, and maybe that's a good segue. So you're getting all these calls. What eventually, or what was the one that allowed that you felt was aligned with, as you were talking about before the, just the authenticity, genuine nature, you know, what, what, what path of all these incoming calls was the one that, uh, that felt right for you? You mean for digital NFT art? Yeah. Well, I got, you know, I got a lot of calls. People wanted to invest a ton of money into me to do a platform. Um, and I really didn't want the fiduciary financial responsibility of an investor and hiring people again. And even though it smelled and seemed like a great opportunity, I was in such a happy place just being by myself, working for myself. Um, I didn't want to go in that direction. I just wanted to make digital NFT art. But I spent a year learning everything I could about it. And I spent a year and probably made two to 8,000 pieces of art, digital right. art, no joke. Wow. I only released um, 24 NFTs. You know, I I wanted the work to be really special, and and I wanted to put a lot of time into it. That way, it stood the test of time. Um, and you know, I, I sold the first my first NFT. I sold uh, with a painting, with a physical painting, a very large piece um, for about a quarter of a million. Like uh, I was 65 Ethereum at the time when at the ETH was up very high, um, mm -hmm. and I wanted to just sell less pieces for more money. Um, and create scarcity and add value to the collectors. Like I didn't want to do a money grab. Like every single artist I know did these money grabs where they put out editions of 500 or 1,000 very large editions and, you know, all these people put money into it and then, you know, there really isn't any value in it now. I mean, not to say there won't be in the future, but um, the one thing I learned about the physical art world is the same thing. Like uh, as I started to do well in the art world, I was starting to do editions of 300, 150 and, you know, a couple of older artists that were very successful said to me, you know, you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't be greedy. You should do editions of 40 or less. And I said, why? And they said, because you're doing justice to your collector. You know, by putting so many out, you know, years from now, if that collector wants to sell it, they're not going to get that much money because there's a lot of that same piece available. So, um, you know, and I'm happy I made those choices. Like, I, I'm happy I only put out two editions of 10 and four one-of-ones. And... Mm. I have a couple of big drops that I've been working on preparing um, with a couple of celebrities in tech and sports. Um, and we're just kind of waiting to see when the market comes back a little bit stronger to release those. You know? Gotcha. So, so those are just, they're already done. They're just kind they're of already done. Yeah. I'm doing one with Bobby Orr, which will be, um, you know, I did a whole multi-level thing of pieces that come with sculpture or digital frames uh, with physical prints um and memorabilia and even experiences with bobby that's awesome you're using the art then to build in sort of other experiences with the celebrity that you're working with yeah and physical physical collectible stuff too you know like the famous diving photo of bobby or you know like when he's flying and he got tripped in midair and he was probably the most famous hockey shot um they have the rights to the image so i turned it into a beautiful piece of art so maybe we'll do a small edition of that and then give you know, the collector an opportunity to trade it in for the physical if they want. Kind of mm. like what Damien Hurst did. Um, 
you know, those type of things. Uh, if you buy a one of one, you might get eight box seats to a game with Bobby and a sculpture I made of him as well, you know? Got it. So, so there's clear blending of yeah, digital, physical art, physical, yeah, yeah, experience, yeah. experiential stuff and print sculpture and, um, digital framing, a whole bunch of stuff. So, which, which probably, feels better to, to as a as an artist i'd imagine to, to yeah, have, it does right? i mean yeah, to feel like you know that that person has an option you know or are they going to get other elements that come with the nft yeah exactly with, with that said do you do you have a preference or any thought like are, are you solidified in the nft space having been already in the digital art space for for many years is this sort of the next evolution of the space you're already in or is it something parallel or tangential or or what well, i guess what are we experiencing right now with nft art well i think the whole nft market came in like the internet originally like when all the websites started coming out and it was this big bubble and everyone put money into it and then it seemed to collapse and all these companies went out of business and then the tech just kept advancing and you know eventually the tech catches up i think the tech in the nft space is not where the nft space is yet i think that's been the biggest issue and also the fact that crypto went down so much that the nft market went down 98 percent in sales mm -hmm. um i think the only stuff that seemed to do well was the community things you know where people join it together but you know a lot of rug pulls a lot of people lost a lot of money on that stuff i just didn't want to be involved in anything that was going to lose people any kind of you know big money or anything like that i wanted to make sure that as i put F nfts out there someone's either buying it because they love the art and what i did the animation and it's something i like to look at just like a physical piece of art or that they're doing as a long-term investment into me and my career and that i love seriously i love digital art i'm so passionate about it um but i just want to you know build a slow audience in that space i didn't want to um put out too much stuff yet i still have a ton of really beautiful pieces um and i'm working on physical pieces that'll attribute and come with them before i release them Got it. So it's it's really it sounds like then you're you're really being mindful of as you mentioned the community, advancing the community that already exists, and then incorporating the the NFT community as well. Yeah, but I haven't really done a community project yet. I have I've been in talks now of doing a big community project with a bunch of big players in the space. Um, but when I do it, I want to do it with the right people. Um, and in the meantime, like I said, I just put out two editions of ten and four one of ones just for some of my collectors that um, collect a lot of my physical art and started collecting stuff in the NFT space. Right. So I and, to, and, go ahead. Yeah, I wanted to do more high-end, like I said, a scarcity model was what I felt was the most valuable to collectors. You know? Totally. And, and when, when I was saying community, I meant more the community around your art specifically, not necessarily Web3 community or anything like that. Yeah, but I do love the space and I've built some great relationships and friendships and I... I'm definitely going to dive deeper into it as it starts to bounce back and the tech catches up a little bit. And I might even do a, a platform myself as well. I just, again, the tech wasn't there. I feel like it was so complex to onboard and purchase something and send something. And it, unless you're very tech savvy, even everything I would do, I always had to call someone to guide me through every <laughs> step because, you know, it's, it was like I had to have like, I had to be on like eight websites just to start, you know, from right. a Gemini account to a, Basically, to all the different accounts you need. The MetaMask wallet to the... Yeah, the MetaMask wallet to, you know, your OpenSea, your SuperRare accounts, your 
you know, it just, again, there was just a lot of different moving parts. I think once it becomes one click purchasing, I know Amazon's about to launch a platform, I think, um, as some of these bigger sites. And like I said, the tech gets better and you could buy Ethereum in cash and, you know, you don't have to set up all this complex stuff with passwords. I think it will become humongous. And I still think it's going to be a, a very big thing in the future. You're saying the tech needs to catch up a little bit. The tech needs to catch up. The crypto market has to bounce back. You know, there's multiple things that affect things. That's, um, which is a shame. I didn't really understand that the crypto market could affect the NFT market so much, but obviously it did, you know? Sure. Sure. Well, and, and it sounds like then once that's smoothed out and the process for people to be onboarded is, is a little easier, the, I think the marketplace will go 20 X. Yeah. That's my opinion. Yeah. In terms of your own personal Paul Gerben community, have you received inquiries from, from collectors or from, from fans? Like what's, what's the engagement been like since you've embarked onto the NFT path with, with your work? I think the engagement, I mean, I, I, like I said, I, I still go on Twitter spaces sometimes and I, you know, I go into clubhouse rooms and I engage with people in the space, but I think the, um, I just think, again, I think there's just a big pause in the space. Everyone got nervous. People lost a lot of money in crypto. And then obviously their NFTs. I mean, you know, even me, you know, putting all those NFTs and seeing the sales come in and then seeing your value of your work go down a th two thirds because the crypto is so low. I think people just are hesitant. And I think it makes sense. It's like if your cash went down 75%, it's the same <laughs> yeah, thing. You yeah, know? yeah. People don't see it as that, but that's, you know, really what it is in the end. I think as soon as crypto has a, another bull run and, um, you know, ETH and Bitcoin go back up um, and the tech is already advancing very nicely, I think, you know, it all merge. Just like, like I said, like when websites started to, you know, develop credit card payments and easy ways of payments and ordering stuff, it all, you know, some of the people who stuck in and did the right thing, you know, excelled and other people fell to the wayside. I think it's the same thing with the space. So it's th those who sort of see the force from the trees here and can understand. Yeah, people, I think people, like I said, that do money grabs that were just trying to make money because it was a hot market versus, you know, thinking about the long-term value of it. I, I glad just being a little experience in the physical art world that I was able to, um, um, you know, understand that and make moves ahead of time to not oversaturate the market and not do a money grab. And, you know, everyone who bought my NFTs is still super happy that they bought them and believe that in the long term they'll, they'll benefit from them in some manner. Well, and, and it sounds like too, part of, part of that feeling may have been crafted by you intentionally by being authentic and, and not going for a money grab or a rug pull or anything like that and really being conscious about and making a conscious decision to protect the art in, in many ways. Well, I also didn't know if the NFT market would, you know, crash or not crash. So, you know, a bunch of the buyers, the collectors that bought pieces from me, I wound up some of them gifting them, surprise gifting them physical art of the same value of the pieces they bought. That if the NFT market, if they ever were anything worth anything, at least they got gifted pieces of art of the same value. And they were all pretty surprised that I did it, but I just wanted to, 
make sure that their investment in me, at least in a, something that was so new and we don't know the future of it, that they felt like they got their money's worth, you know, and I think they seem to all really appreciate it. Yeah. Well, and, and again, it's, 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 I think just by virtue of how you're thinking about your, your, your brand, your business, it's, it's very client focused. Yeah. I think you want to give a lot of value to people, you know, it's always, you know, even I just, uh, bought my first house and redid the whole house. And I, I, I was ordering flooring from a really beautiful floor company and the guy wanted asked if I would barter and trade him. I said, sure. And so he gave me like 50, 60 grand with the flooring and, you know, he picked like 50, 60 grand with art, but I, I want to give him like a hundred grand with the art because I, don't know, I just appreciated him doing that and saved me that money. And I wanted to give him that extra value, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And no. is that, is that something you, you think you've strived to do over the course of your career? Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. Mm. And it and it and it seems like that same ethos is exactly to boomerang it back to that conversation on the street. Uh, you know, prior to that, the the gallery showing when your buddy walked you around the corner, like it it, it just feels very. Yeah, I end up gifting him a beautiful like thirty thousand dollar piece of Mandela from South Africa. Um, I went up gifting him a piece for getting me in that gallery, not because he expected it, but he just it was so nice of him. And then he wound up gifting another Mandela to Larry Mullen Jr. I didn't know he was great friends with the drummer from U2. Um, so it's just, you know, it's just nice to give. And then, and when then you receive something back unexpectedly, it's also such a beautiful thing. So, sure. you know, I think that's just a nice uh, way to live your life. You know? Which again, not to harp on it, but that's sort of the ethos of to, to tie in what you are already doing in, in call it the real world. That's kind of what a lot of folks in the web three space or what decentralization is predicated on is that idea of giving back and, and helping each other. And really it feels very on brand for what you are already doing naturally. Yeah, I do love, that's what I loved about clubhouse during COVID. You had these communities of people that just really encouraged and supported people during I think very emotionally tough time and people are having a lot of, you know, mental health issues, you know, including myself, it was a very depressing, you know, scary period. And it was just nice to see all these people came together during that and kind of created that community and created that, that ethos like you're talking about, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in terms of ethos and choosing either a, a client or a collaborator, what, what goes into to it for you for, when you make a selection to, to collaborate with somebody, like how, how do you make that, those decisions? I don't know what you mean by collaborate. Maybe you know. uh, Bobby or example, you know, what, what goes into that? I just really liked his son. His son wanted to do something special and I just love their energy and vibe and just, you know, and then I'm a big up at Bobby or fan and uh, just wanted to do something special with him. You know? So for, for those, for those examples, it's more what you're interested in, what you're passionate about, and, and kind of finding the... Well, I like to work with people I just like to be around. Like, if if his son wasn't a nice guy, I wouldn't have done it. You know what I mean? Even <laughs> sure. though it'd be opportunity. So I think it's about working with people like these really positive, great, encouraging people. And also, you know, he's pretty much of a legend in the sports world. And the sports market was also, you know, probably the biggest thing that took off with the NBA top shots, you know? Was, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. You know, like I said, collectibles, sports, and art kind of mixing together. In terms of collectibles, sports, art, 
what can we expect to see that, that you can talk about? I know you mentioned you have uh, several pieces in the can already. Uh, next, you know, six months to a year, what, what are you working on? What can we expect to see from you? Um, well, I developed a, uh, an NFT drop that we're still talking to uh, Steve Wozniak about that I did most of the artwork already. Um, and hopefully we'll wind up putting that out eventually. And a big portion of that will go towards his charity. But that's it's a whole bigger project that um, they're working on that I'm going to be involved with uh, with his charity. And, but that's not being released anytime yet. It's still uh, in the works. You know? and, and you said that's Steve Wozniak? Yeah, the founder of Apple, and um, we're waiting to, um, I guess, get approval from his team and his charity before it's released. So that might be further down the line. Cool. And I'm curious in terms of just career trajectory and confidence in yourself and how you were able to kind of cultivate that to help you again. I know you said being a good person and, and you know, being uh doing what you loved and having a successful graphic design business and and again pursuing the things that interested you but what gave you the confidence to to just do it you know mom's pushing you to do art you like it but there's there, there must have been right some factor or some underlying motivating force that helped that was was you know assisting you on that path i got lucky because i was grew up with a lot of people with all different tastes, but all very good tastes, but also eclectically different. I have an aunt who's a sculptor and painter and interior designer. My father was an interior designer and antique collector, and my mother was pretty artistic, and she was an interior designer. And I think growing up, instead of going to sports games and baseball games, I was going to carpet tile stores and being asked at a young age, does this carpet match with this tile and this rug? And you know, you start to adapt a sensibility of taste, you know, of how things work together, how things go together. Um, and, and I mean, you know, you know self-confidence is, uh, I don't know if it's self-confidence, it's just self-belief, I think is a better word. Mm. Um, more than self-confidence on an ego kind of level. I think it's just self-belief and doing the work, you know, putting in the hours. I think most people don't put in the 10,000 or 20 or 30,000 hours into any of their careers. I, I meet really talented people all the time. I have a friend who's an incredible impersonator and he wants to be a comedian, but he doesn't do anything to you know, further the career. He doesn't put in the time. He doesn't do improv groups. He doesn't write. You know, I think if you don't put in the time and you don't really look at other people's work and you know, be self-critical of the work and what do you like about the work, what do you not like about their work? I, I started 18 collecting graph design books and you know, reading graph design annuals and illustration books and, you know, looking through 500 page books every day just for the joy of looking. And then I'd like something and I'd fold the page and say, I love this. And then I would go back and kind of ask myself in a self-critical way, well, why do I love it? Mm. I love it because there's so much negative space. You know, like you look at Apple's branding, for example, and you go into a store and like, why is it so appealing? You know, and because there's so much space. It's just, Sometimes you walk in a mall by an Apple store and there's a Sony store right next door and the Apple store has like 80 items and the Sony has like 350 items and there's no one in the Sony store and the Apple store is packed. And it's because simplicity done well and, you know, less quality than more quantity. And I think that all applies into everything artistic. Like I said, looking at stuff and not just looking and saying, I really love that, but asking yourself why you love it. What is it about that you love? And, 
it's that self-critical thinking and, you know, making good decisions and just being always trying to be more self-critical and make better decisions. Even I look at my own work and I look at my older work and I don't like it as much as say newer pieces and some older pieces I like better than newer pieces. And I think it's just, you have to constantly look at your own work and re-evolve yourself, redo your website, redo your branding and keep up with the times. It's, you know, it's, it's a little overwhelming, but you know, I do it organically, but I'm always in it hmm. and thinking about it. And I think that's really where I'd say, I don't say self self confidence, I guess it's just, you know, trying to do the best work I can do. Yeah. I think that's, yeah, yeah. you know, and, and like, and not putting out work just because I did it, you know, I don't put anything out unless I love it, you know, unless I would hang it up in my house. Sometimes I'll do 50 or hundred pieces. I'll never release any of them because I just, I don't love them, you know, and I do it all organically. It's all, I don't even know what I'm making. I just constantly experiment until it just, it looks right. It feels right. And I go, wow, it's done. It, feels right and move on to the next piece hmm. sometimes i come back to a piece six months or a year later same thing yeah is has there ever been a piece where where you've that you've abandoned that you didn't think you would come back to but then you did come back to it yeah i was working on a whitney houston piece for a year and a half i never liked any of them and then one day a friend of mine said come to an event clive davis is going to be there um you know, I'd love to introduce you to them. And I said, oh my God, I got to finish this Whitney Houston piece. I would love to gift a copy to Clive because he discovered her. And I went ballistic for a couple of days and I actually really loved the piece. I said, I finally love it. And I literally drove to the event in traffic and got there right as he was leaving and met him and showed it to him and he loved it. And I gifted it to him and it's sitting in his, in his house now. Amazing. And I wound up doing him one for his office and a Joplin for his office and you know, sometimes that happens. I, in other examples, I photographed Barack Obama and did his portrait years ago, and I did a hundred digital art pieces from that portrait, and I wound up not liking any of them as much as the actual photo, and that's never happened. And I wind up, you know, auctioning one off at Christie's uh, about six months ago and gave the the money to the Robert Kennedy um, Human Rights Charity, but. I wound up gifting him a copy of it and he loved it. Sent me a nice letter. I gifted him a massive piece of it. And it was, it was really hard to, I've spent like literally like thousands of hours doing a hundred Obama pieces, if not more. And then just going back to the original photo and liking it better than all the <laughs> art I made. Yeah. Well, it, in, in some ways too, it sounds like there's, it, it's very multi-layered. Uh, it sounds like your process in that respect where one, the process you're describing we're, we're talking about, you mentioned being self-critical or self-reflective or, you know, you know, introspective. That kind of helps power one's adaptation and change and evolution just in life. And so by attributing that and putting it to your art, it, it sounds like you're, you're kind of tapped into the, call it the overall flow of the universe of life, which is constant change and evolution and iterating and, and, you know, evolving. And so it, it sounds yeah, like knowing how to make a confident choice of what you like best. Yeah. And I did a hundred pieces and I wanted to pick one of them because I put so much time in. I have enough critical taste to look back and go, no, the original photo that I did was better than all these. And, you know, but I thought about putting out a, um, NFT of a hundred Obamas, you know, of, of all the pieces that I didn't do. And, since they're all digital, um, which is something I also might release. Hmm. Well, and, and that critical taste, again, to come back to that 
you know, to be able to get to that point where you like the original with, with the Obama piece better than the rest, as you mentioned, that was developed over time, you know, and, and, and through just repetition of doing exactly that, exercising that muscle and, and eventually having it become, I would imagine, second nature. Yeah. And being that self-critical to like, you know, say throw away all this work, but you know, if that's my favorite piece, then, you know, and it's never happened like that. I usually start with an image, do tons of things until I like it or don't like it. And I've never put so much time into so many pieces and then just like the original, I didn't have, I thought I didn't have to spend time doing any of it. I could have just went with the original. Image, but, <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I thought I'd wind up making something better, but it just didn't happen because again, it's experimental. I don't know. I just, you know, play with stuff and see what happens. And nothing really made me go, I like this better than that, you know? So, sure. Trusting your own taste. Yes. You know, that's, you know, because no one, there's no right or wrong taste, you know, because, you know, the taste of like when I put art out in, in New York, it sells very well or Aspen, for example, but in California, it doesn't sell well or Florida because the people who live there have different tastes, you know, some is cheesier, some is more glamorous, some is more, you know, bright. Everyone has, like I said, there's no right or wrong taste because everyone has different tastes and in different places in the world too. You know? And how interesting then that you were able to figure that out and understand that geography in this case is playing a role geography and and how that is shaping taste because you could be a fantastic artist and live in an area in which the, that community doesn't necessarily respond to that art but then go somewhere else That's and right. have it be more well received 100 percent. you could be a top artist in miami come to new york and no one buys your art and vice versa in new york unless you can adapt and understand the taste of the people in the place that you're living you know like I ship stuff to London or to Japan or, you know, Dubai all the time. But again, very rare do I find California or Miami or Chicago. It's, you know, like Texas, I sell a lot of stuff. But it's just, again, there's no, I mean, it's also individual's taste, you know, but, you know, it's definitely a different taste, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and to kind of bring... And that goes for home design, cars, clothing, you know, everything, you know, it's sure. not just art. Yeah. yeah. And, well, and, and, and again, that refined sense of taste, though, it sounds like even though, as you mentioned, taste isn't right or wrong, but having a specific taste that resonates with people might be something that consistently is something that can be learned and, and trusted. Yeah, you can adapt. I like the New York taste. I'm a New Yorker. I just... Um... I like to do my stuff and then whoever likes to buy it buys it. I don't really think about doing it for a specific demographic. Do you, when you, when you gift a piece of art, is that something that, is it just, Hey, like the Whitney example, uh, I'm going to bump into, hopefully bump into Clive. He has a history with her. You know, I want to connect those dots through my art. And obviously you're confident in your, your pieces that they'd be well received. Is, is that just literally baseline? It's it's distribute it's getting your art out there, but in a, in a way that makes sense. Yeah, I don't gift art very often. I just um, I'm friendly with Clive, and and I you know met him a bunch of times. Um, you know, spent time with him since then. He's just such a wonderful human being, and saw his documentary, and it's just it's such a teddy bear, amazing human being, and he's done so much for so many creative people that I just wanted to give him something special for how special he is you know mm. well and, and again to tie, tie it back to everything else it's through 
through that nature, through your desire to to give in whatever capacity, it it I think just continues to snowball and build a a brand and aesthetic and a, and a human of of positivity and good karma. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's a, I pray where I give, but you just have to be incredibly down to earth, genuine people. <laughs> right on. Uh, and usually people that have done a lot of free stuff and helped a lot of people from just their their karma, their person. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's a, it's a validating exercise that I think more people can and should learn from. Uh, myself included, yeah. you know, and, and yeah. it's, uh, I mean, that's what, that's what life's all about. We're here, we're here, yeah, we're exactly. here to share it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Sharing is caring. Amen. Amen, Paul. Where can, uh, people find you if they're interested in learning more about just, you know, potentially becoming a collector, your art in general, what you have coming up, studios, all that stuff. Uh, just my site, Gerben Fine Art. Um, G-E-R-B-E-N, fineart.com. That's pretty much all my work. And then, of course, you know, I have some pieces on Super Rare and OpenSea. Um, a couple of NFTs left. Awesome. Well, Paul, I appreciate the conversation. Appreciate uh, you going on this journey of learning more about you, your process, and uh, your art. Thanks. See you. Thanks for listening to another episode of Lights, Camera, Crypto, a podcast produced by Matt Bogart and Decentral Media. Music by Brian Duncan and Kareem Imes. If you enjoyed this experience, be sure to rate and subscribe to our show and to follow at Sladen and at Decentral Media for additional content.